Our Bibles are open tonight, once again, the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 16. We are studying the life and the spiritual lessons of the man named Abraham. Abraham's life um, is uh, the primary focus of the second 25% of the book of Genesis, which divides itself neatly into four almost equal sections. The first part, of course, deals with creation and the judgment of God through the flood. The second part of Genesis is the life of Abraham. The third part of Genesis deals with the struggle, the power struggle that existed between Jacob and Esau. And then the last part of Genesis is concerning itself with the life of Joseph. And so Genesis divides naturally, and we're in the second uh, of these quartiles in the book of Genesis dealing with the life of Moses, and to, or the life of Abraham, rather. And tonight, we're going to look for a few minutes at um, what can be a real problem in terms of everyday Christian experience, and that is uh, the tendency to try to do things ourselves. The problem with do-it-yourself Christianity uh, I like the big box home improvement stores, Lowe's, Home Depot. I'm not really a handyman by trade, but I like to tinker around a little bit, and I especially like to work in my yard. And so uh, I uh, go into places like the Home Depot a whole lot. Uh, I like their motto because their motto kind of supports uh, their mission which is to help people do things that they would normally hire other people to do. I don't know much about building things, and I don't know much about wiring things, and don't know a whole lot about fixing things, but whenever I'm in the Home Depot, I feel like I do. Amen? Uh, and that's part of their motto. You can do it. We can help. Very simple. Everybody can remember that, and uh, that's what they exist to do. Several months ago, I went into one of their stores here in town because um, I wanted to install a dimmer switch in my house. And I thought, well, I ought to be able to do that. So uh, I worked to get the thing installed, bought the product, worked to get it installed, did remember to kill the power. Somebody say amen, uh, which is like step number one, uh, only to find that not only did the dimmer switch not work, but somehow I managed to kill the garbage disposal in the kitchen at the same time. Now, this was a major mystery to me, how I not only could not get the dimmer switch in the living room to work, but how that dimmer switch somehow killed the garbage disposal in the next room. It was just kind of funky wiring that went into the house, and uh, I had to make several phone calls to trusted church members, amen, and uh, after several phone calls and several instructional uh, talks on the telephone, we did manage to get the problem uh, corrected. Now, it really didn't matter that I had a church full of people that could have helped me to get that job done. Somebody could have come over from the church probably and done it in a fraction of the time. Man, I had to do it myself, right? And that's not altogether a bad attitude, 
not going to criticize anybody for having a healthy sense of independence, self-sufficiency. But here's the problem. Spiritually speaking, that kind of attitude can get you into trouble. When you rely more on yourself than you do on the Lord. Can I get a witness tonight? And that's what we want to talk about tonight. We're going to look at one of the more familiar stories in the life of Abraham one that teaches us the value of patience. Anybody here need training in patience? Amen. You know, patience is a spiritual virtue. The Bible says that fruit, uh, patience is really one of the fruits of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Patience. So if you've got the gift of the Holy Spirit, there's something wrong if we're not learning to become more patient. And that's one of the things that's really critically missing in the faith experience of Abraham here in Genesis chapter 16. This is a classic case of do-it-yourself Christianity. And it's also a classic illustration. If you were here on Sunday, you know that we uh, spoke for a few minutes on critical decision-making in the will of God. What to do when the rule book is silent? Well, this is a, this is a prime case study of that right here tonight. I didn't time it this way. This was 100% the Lord's timing. But Abraham and Sarah are trying to live to please the Lord. They're in a hard place, and the rule book is silent. And so they have to make a decision, and they got out ahead of God, and it really messed everything up. They decided to take matters into their own hands, lost their patience, and they end up paying dearly for it. So let's talk about that for a few minutes tonight. Not only has it impacted them, but how it impacts you and me as well. I want to give you three tendencies that often accompany this do-it-yourself mentality, times when you take spiritual matters into your own hands. The first is the tendency to make your own door in times when God is silent. We just don't like it when God seems distant or when God seems silent. We look Sunday in Acts 16 at Paul and Silas and Timothy kind of wandering around Asia Minor trying to figure out where they were supposed to go next, and they couldn't get a read from the Lord. And so perhaps, we don't know all the details, but perhaps they just couldn't handle that, so they just decided, well, we're going to go over here because we're not getting a read from the Lord, and rather than standing still, we got to do something, right? Don't just stand there. Do something. But did you know in the kingdom of God... Oftentimes, the more conventional wisdom is don't just do something, stand there. Sometimes that's better, but that's un-American. That's not the way we're trained. We think it's weakness to just simply stand still. But the Bible says, they that wait upon the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. They that wait upon the Lord will mount up with wings as eagles. They that wait upon the Lord will run and not be weary. They that wait upon the Lord will walk and not faint. And so Abraham is facing one of the great tests of any and every person's spiritual life, and it's the test of silence. This is really the fifth or sixth in a long line of tests that God uses to develop and grow Abraham's faith. And really the problem here is just a lack of fruit. Uh, not 10 years before, uh, the future of Abraham and Sarah looked really bright. I mean, God had called them. 
And with that call came great opportunity, lots of adventure. They were following the Lord. Each day was a new day. Something new was happening every single day as they followed the Lord in the new land called Canaan. And even though they hadn't done everything by the book, God had blessed them. And God had certainly prospered Abraham. Uh, but everything they were hoping for, remember, was bound up in one thing happening. What were they waiting on to happen, brothers and sisters? They were waiting on that son to be born, right? Because God had promised from Abraham to make a great nation. Well, you can't have a great nation until you have one son. Great nations start with the birth of one person. And so we got to have that firstborn son in order for that promise to come about. Now, Abraham, of course, we know wasn't a young man anymore. And Sarah was not a spring chicken. Time had passed. They weren't getting any younger. And this is uh, where the revelation comes in. If you look back at Genesis 15 and verse 4, Behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram. This, see, Abraham was beginning to think, well, maybe I have misunderstood the voice of the Lord. Maybe God's really not going to give me an heir through Sarah. I'm pretty sure that's what he said. But maybe I misunderstood. And he begins to look around and he sees his servant, a man named Eleazar. And he begins to rationalize. Well, maybe God meant Eleazar. Maybe we can start this new nation by me adopting my servant, Eleazar, as my son. Maybe that's what he's talking about. And then God shows up and speaks very clearly in Genesis 15, 4. Behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram. This man, Eleazar, shall not be your heir. So get that out of your head. Your very own. Let me, let me draw you a picture. What you thought I said the first time is really what I said, and I'm going to say it again. Your very own son will be your heir. So God gives Abram a promise, and uh, that fulfillment is going to come through very specific revelation. And then God says, you're going to have a son. It's going to be born of Sarah, even though she's old. And then the clock starts to tick, and God waits for Abraham to grow in faith before that child becomes a reality. See, God, before God can do a work through that child whose name would be Isaac, God first has to do a work in his father. And you all know that, I don't know if you know it or not, strong faith doesn't happen in 48 hours. It takes like years and years. Growing faith is a journey with Christ. So God was always at work. But he was at work in Abraham. And that was going to be something that took a lot of time. Abraham cannot stand the wait. That's the problem. The Bible says in the first verse of Genesis 16, now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Multiple years had passed. And there's no doubt, I mean, Sarah had this great need, maybe the deepest need of a woman's life, which is to have a child, to have children. And the beautiful thing is she's got God's promise to have a child. The problem is the time of chapter 16 
Anybody know how old Sarah is? 75. My mother just turned 75 years old. And she wouldn't even want me joking about her having a child at 75, right? <laughs> she said, don't even bring that up. And so uh, she's 75 years old, and she's come to the point where, you know, the impossibility of the circumstance in her mind has gotten bigger than the power of God to do it. And so she begins to doubt. She just doesn't believe God can fill that need. So she does what most any of us would do if we're in a situation like that. She takes matters into her own hands and she makes her own door. She begins to do it herself. She buys into that great lie that basically says, you know what? God helps those who help themselves. Did you know that's not anywhere in the Bible? That's an old wives tale is what that is. God helps those who, helps, who help themselves. It, it ain't necessarily so. Now, I believe in working hard, and I believe in being industrious, but the Bible does not say God helps those who help themselves. In fact, the smartest thing that Sarah could have done was nothing. Just continue to patiently wait upon the Lord. And, you know, this is part of our culture in Western civilization. I mean, we've been taught to be self-reliant. It's the American way. And trusting the grace of God rather than our works. I just know so many people, even so many Baptist Christians, who just cannot believe that they can't add anything to the mix in order to be saved. There's surely something that I have to do. It just can't be a free gift because I've been taught my whole life there is no such thing as a free what? As a free lunch. That's right. So, as a result, most people just cannot believe it's salvation by grace alone plus nothing that I can bring to the table. I can remember a high school teacher of mine years ago who was a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, but his favorite saying was, here's the thing, guys, if it is to be, it is up to me. <laughs> I've never forgotten that. If it is to be, it is up to me. Well, that may make a good mantra for uh, American success story, but it's terrible in the house of God. Now, if it is to be, it's up to him, not up to me. And so, as a result of that, uh, it's, this, this is a beautiful picture of what stymies most Christians oftentimes in their growth track with the Lord. They just try to take over. If it is to be, it is up to me. And if you don't believe that, just try to help your children or your grandchildren get dressed when they're about three or four years old. I can remember that. My daughter's in here tonight. And I can remember both her and her brother, they came a time in their life, and you know, dad, especially on Sunday morning, let's get, or really every morning for that matter, when they were young, going to preschool, going to kindergarten, there was no question I could dress them quicker and more efficiently myself. Them dressing themselves took three or four times as long. And so you know, I'm ready to get on with the day. And as a result, I found myself here, let me do it, let me do it. And, you know, they, they learned early on to say this to their father very respectfully, but they said it, I can do it myself. I can do it myself. I remember both of those kids said they didn't want to be helped getting dressed. And the problem is our tendency is we tend to think we need to help God out so much of our life, principally because we think that if something's difficult, 
or that if it's not happening quickly, then God must not be in it. I talked a little bit about this Sunday. We've come to believe in the Western church that God's will, the way you identify God's will, if, if something happens easily and quickly. And man, that's not always true. It's just not. So we'll often conclude this is just take, this is really too hard. It, God is not in it. It wouldn't be this hard. Are you sure about that? Now I said it, I'm going to say it again. Just because it's easy doesn't mean God's in it. And just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not. Now Isaac was going to be born to Sarah, but she was going to have to wait 25 years for Isaac to be born. It didn't happen easily, and it didn't happen quickly. And because she loses patience with the divine timing of God, she's going to end up making a decision that not only going to mess her life up, it's still messing our life up today. All these thousands of years later. So don't fall into that trap. Parents can often fall into this trap for their children. Did you know I know a lot of parents who have refused, absolutely refused to let their kids struggle in any way, shape, or form? Bail them out of everything. I don't want to see them cry. I don't want to see them hurt. I don't want to see them have to work through pain. I don't want to have to see them grow. I don't have to see them have to make their own money. I don't have to see them wait to buy their first house. I mean, just cannot stand it. And so they're always entering into some hard thing or difficult situation with their kids. Rather than letting their kids wait on the Lord and let God stretch them and grow them by allowing them to go through pain. You're doing your children no favor when you're constantly bailing them out. And the thing about it is, when you do that, why in the world should they ever learn to trust God? When you're coming in and bailing them out of everything that God might be using to teach them something. So you don't want to do that. Because one of these days, you're not going to be around, and then what? Then what are they going to do? No, Abraham and Sarah got tired of the difficulty. They got tired of the waiting, so they made their own door. And the door they made was in the form of a person whose name was what? Whose name was Hagar. That's right. And one of, uh, you know, the thing about Hagar is she's one of the legacies of Abram's trip to Egypt. Y'all remember when he went down to Egypt? If y'all were in here when we talked about that, this has been several weeks ago. But I made the remark then that Abraham brought a bunch of Egyptians back with him. And among those Egyptians that he brought back with him was who? Now, see, God had never told Abraham to go down to Egypt anyway in the first place. That's not where good Jewish people went. That was a bad place to go. And so not only did he go there, he came back. He came back with a lot of stuff. Among them, this maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Abraham comes up with an Egyptian solution which is always a worldly compromise. And so this is a great issue we face practically every day of our life. Am I going to rely on God when God has clearly spoken to me or will I create my own door when God doesn't move on my timetable? All right? The tendency to make your own door when God is silent. Beware of it. Number two, there's the tendency to listen to bad counsel. Now, again, I talked Sunday morning about the importance of seeking counsel 
in decision-making when the rule book is silent or when it's a gray area not directly addressed by Scripture. But what kind of counsel did I tell you to make sure that you pursue? Who was listening on Sunday? Make sure that it's godly counsel, not just any counsel, but godly counsel. And if it's bad counsel, don't listen to it. Verses 1 and 2. Sarah had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abraham, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. So now Sarah's doing the same thing Abraham had done in the previous chapter. He's looking around thinking, okay, this, I, I must be mistaken because God would never take this long to do what he said he's going to do. So it's Eleazar. I'm supposed to adopt Eleazar. And God shows up and says, no, don't do that because you're going to have a son. It's going to be through your wife. And then Abraham, or Sarah rather, begins to rationalize. Well, this couldn't be the will of God or it wouldn't take this long. Now I've got this servant, Hagar. Maybe my husband should have children through her because I must be barren. We've missed it somewhere. I shall obtain children by her. And then the tragic, and Abram, what? Listened to the voice of Sarah instead of the voice of, of God. see, that's it. And that's where the problem came into play. See, he heard the voice of God. It's not a matter of Abram not knowing what he's supposed to do. So in the span of just a few verses, we have made the journey from uh, Genesis 15, 6 to Genesis 16, 2. Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God. Genesis 16, 2, Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. How far we have fallen in such a short period of time. Now, once again, let me just say tonight, there's nothing wrong with seeking counsel. In fact, most of my counsel is sought. You know where I seek most of my counsel, don't you? Her name is Judy Locke. She's given me more guidance through the years than any other person on the planet, including my mother and my father. Because I left home when I was 22, so I was at home under their authority for 22 years. I've been married to her for 32 years, okay? So she's been the guide when I've had hard decisions to make. But it'd be a mistake if I listened to her and did what she said when God was clearly leading me to go in a different direction. So you seek counsel, just make sure it's godly counsel, and in this case, it's not godly counsel, even though it's coming from a woman who follows God. It's, 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 it's self-centered counsel. Uh, godly counsel is important, but it's never substitute for the Word of God. I told you that on Sunday. I think I mentioned on Sunday, uh, when I was called to preach, uh, I went around to a bunch of guys I really respected, and the majority of those guys said that I was making a mistake. I've been a senior pastor for going on 25 years. I think it's worked out okay. <laughs> I think it's worked out all right. But I had a number of guys just caution me. And I mean, these were guys that I loved and these were guys where I, uh, who I respected greatly. 
And I was pretty confident of what the Lord was telling me to do. And uh, when I think of all that I would have missed out on if I had listened to them rather than to the Lord. No, God had spoken directly to Abram on several different occasions. And frankly, we expect better of Abraham at this point. The problem is he'd got an unhappy woman in the tent. Somebody say amen. And that can be problematic. And the voice of his very unhappy wife is more immediate and more constant and more in his face than the voice of God. Don't you think that Sarah's voice was drowning out the voice of God? I don't think there's any question about it. And that was problematic. Sarah's in his face every day. Sarah's in his face every night. And remember, she's got her mind made up. She knows exactly what should happen next. She's trying to create her own door. God's promised you a son, yes, but who says it has to be by me? Who says that I have to be the mother? So she makes this suggestion that they follow a practice that was culturally acceptable at the time, but never God's design. Let's get a surrogate mother. Take the maidservant as your wife. Sleep with her. She's younger. She's more virile. Let her produce the child of promise. Now, given that Abraham has been listening to the Lord for over 10 years now, we'd expect him to kind of say, you know what? That, that just doesn't pass the smell test. I don't think that's right. We expect Abraham at this stage, a man who's had more than one encounter with the voice of God, who's heard the voice of God the first time when he said, I'm going to give you a child of promise. And then he hears, hears the voice of God a second time when he says, it's not Eleazar. You heard me right the first time, but let me make it very clear. We expect more of Abraham. But how disappointed we are to see that not only does he listen to her, he agrees with her. Now, let me just give a word to the wives here this morning because this is an illustration of the incredible sway that a woman has over her husband. I mean, ladies, you have incredible uh, leadership potential in the life, incredible influence in the life of your husband. And I've said many times, every real sense that, that y'all ought to pray for Judy more than you pray for me because I'd be lost. I wouldn't know what to do, I don't think, if she wasn't around. I've never distrusted a single thing that she's ever said to me in the entire time that I've known her. I go to her all the time with questions, want to know what she thinks. And I tell you, if she told me, you know what, I've had the Lord has spoken to me. And I think that you ought to get up in front of Hillcrest on Sunday in your Mexican t-shirt and boxer shorts and preach the gospel. I'm going to say this, I'd have to pray about it. I'd have to pray about it. That's how much I respect her. And what does Sarah ask her husband to do? Oh, no big deal. You got this sweet young thing. She's slender. She's beautiful. She's bronzed. I want you to go in and sleep with her tonight. Now, how many of you all guys whose wife would tell you to do something like that? Oh, man, I'm telling you. Yeah. So this, this is a, she's laying a major temptation 
down in front of her husband. Now, Abram's a good man here, but I'm telling you, he's a bit of a coward. Because the last time I checked, the Bible has something to say about him being the leader of that home. Amen? He's supposed to be the point guard, the point person, setting the spiritual standard. What should he have done? Absolutely not. In a million years, I'm not going to do something like that. How in the world? I mean, it's like Daniel to the king. I, I'm not going to eat that food. I'm just not going to do it. I, I appreciate you, and I'm giving you my very best, but I'm not going to eat that food. No, a thousand times no. Lion's den, throw me down there. But I must obey God rather than men or my wife, whichever the case might be, Right? Now, what you have here is Adam and Eve, part two. That's all in the world this is. It's Adam and Eve. Sarah comes with a bronzed babe from Egypt. Eve came with a forbidden fruit. It's the same story. It's the same story all over again. So, a word to the wives, recognize the influence you have over your husbands. A word to the husbands, guys, you're the leaders of your home. God holds us accountable for the spiritual health, the spiritual vitality, the spiritual direction that we are setting in our homes. And we need to be biblical leaders. We don't buy into the culture. I mean, the culture is dumbing down men. All you got to do is watch television. And men aren't in leadership roles. Men are stupid. Men are ignorant. And generally speaking, men are stupid and ignorant, but not that bad. You know what I mean? Not as bad as, as they're being betrayed on television. We're a little bit slow, but we're not that slow. And we can be responsible. We can be people of integrity. We can run at the point. We can be obedient. We can be strong. And we can be people of integrity and honor God with the decisions that we make. The whole point here is just be careful about listening to bad counsel, even if it's from somebody very close to you. Hudson Taylor said, the great missionary to China years ago, said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Question is, are you willing to wait? Are you willing to be patient? Have you got spiritual ants in your pants? It caused you to act in the flesh independently of the will of God. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. In other words, God's hand of blessing will be all over it. They that wait upon the Lord will mount up with wings like eagles. Everybody with me so far? Say amen. All right. And then thirdly, there is the tendency to overlook the consequences of sin. That's the reason you don't want to create an open door where there is no open door. You don't want to listen to bad counsel because you need to understand that sin carries consequences. Now, sin can always be forgiven. Do you all believe that? I sure do. Sin, God's ready to forgive any and every sin. We ought to be ready to forgive any and every sin. God forgives us. We're, we're charged to forgive others. Sin is forgivable, should be forgiven. We ought to be people of grace. But sin also carries consequences. And sometimes you can never get away from the consequences. Sometimes consequences will hound you for years. 
From this point on in the story, there's trouble in the house of Abraham. And here's the thing. We've been living with the repercussions of his decision for centuries and centuries and centuries. Verse 4, Abram went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Oh, man, there's trouble in River City. And Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. Oh, my word. This whole thing was her idea. It was her idea. And she, again, this is Adam and Eve all over again. God confronts Eve in the garden. It was that man. It was that serpent. You know, everybody's pointing fingers. And she goes to Abram because Hagar is strutting around, big chief now, because she's going to have the baby, right? And now there's jealousy in the camp. May the wrong done to me be on you, you foolish old man. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to, you, uh, to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. I mean, it's just the whole house now is messed up. Boy, have y'all ever noticed that when things are good at home, things are good in the world. But when things are bad at home, things are messed up all over the world. Everywhere else, things are bad. Things are bad at home, they're bad at work. Things are bad at home, they're bad on the ball field. Things are bad at home, they're bad at scummy. Things are bad at home, they're just bad everywhere. And one of the things that's consistently taught throughout the Bible is you don't sin in isolation. I mean, I've confronted people that I thought were involved in things unhealthy only to be told this is, not, this is not any of your business. Wait a minute, you're in my church. Don't tell me this is none of my business. You go through with this, it's going to not only make you look bad, it's going to make your family look bad, it's going to make my church look bad. It's my business. We're family. And sin, your sin, your choices affect everybody around you. And that's why one sin almost always leads to another. Sarah blamed God. She blames Abraham when the whole thing was her idea. Have y'all ever been in a friend's kitchen? Y'all go in the house and they've got what I call country crockery. They've got these little signs all over the kitchen wall. One of those signs that people have in their kitchen sometimes says, Lord, bless this mess. Have y'all ever seen that sign? Lord bless this mess. Well, sin in the house of God's people doesn't do anything but cause a boatload of hot messes. And what's sad is we make the mess and then turn right around and blame God for the whole thing. Why is God doing this to me? I don't know that God's done anything to you. I think that the choice you made did that. And yet we get upset with God. We run from Him. We run from the church. But we're the ones that have the pattern of bad decision making. And that always happens when we stop trusting God. We listen to bad counsel. We create our own door. 
And then when the plans go sour and we have to deal with the consequences of it, we either blame God or like's going on right here, we blame somebody else. Always somebody else's fault. But no, the blame always lies right where we sat. We are responsible for the choices that we make. I am responsible for the choices that I make. Can we say that out loud together? Together. I am responsible for the choices I make. That's right. And the blame lies with us. Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also what? Reap. Now, Hagar is going to give birth to a baby boy. His name's going to be what? Ishmael. And later on in this very chapter, there is a prophecy which indicates that he's going to become, and I quote, a wild donkey of a man. Same thing happened with David. Sin with Bathsheba, the sword never departed his house. There was conflict in the house of Abraham for a long time. And to this very day, the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac, the Arabs, and the Jews continue to struggle, continue to fight, continue to feud. And based on we know what happens at the other end of our Bible, that isn't going away anytime soon. That will continue until Jesus Christ comes again. Don't tell me sin doesn't carry consequences. And sometimes those consequences last not only for years, not only for decades, not only for generations. Sometimes those consequences can last literally for centuries. All of this as a result of do-it-yourself Christianity spirituality. Impatience in the walk of faith. Trying to help God out when we didn't think God was big enough to handle our problem. Our great challenge in the barren times of life is not try to make things happen, but to learn to depend on God. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. And what he requires of you and me is to listen to his voice, trust his timing, and always obey, even when we don't have all the facts. This is God's word. And let all God's people who agree say amen.